Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox Podcast. Today, I have a very special treat for you. I have Dr. Jill Carnahan on the show, and she is an expert in so many things in detoxification, in environmental toxins, in mold toxicity, and so many other things that we're going to talk about today on the show. And she also has a new book out called Unexpected, and she goes into her own health journey and all the trials and tribulations and things things that she did that worked for her that she uses today with her patients and and in her work and she has an amazing website amazing blog and she's got a new documentary coming out that's in the the film festivals right now just a lot of stuff a lot of work that Jill is doing to show up in the world to help uh, get the message out about health and natural healing. And so, and I know you guys listening to the show, you're concerned about your, your body burden of toxins. And I created a quiz you can check out at heavymetalsquiz.com. Only takes a couple of seconds and you get an amazing free video series about, you know, how to detox your body after taking the quiz. So check it out, heavymetalsquiz.com. So our guest today, Dr. Jill Carnahan, is known as your functional medicine expert, and she's been featured in Shape Magazine, Parade, Forbes, Mind Body Green, First for Women, the Townsend Newsletter, and the Huffington Post, as well as uh, been seen on NBC News and health segments with Joan London. Uh, She's a prominent global keynote speaker and a prolific writer, sharing her knowledge on stage and podcasts. With over a decade of producing popular content, Her articles can be found in journals, newsletters, books, and social media posts. She's the medical director of Flatiron Functional Medicine, a widely sought after practice with a broad range of clinical services, including functional medicine protocols, nutritional consultations, chiropractic therapy, naturopathic medicine, acupuncture, massage therapy, and then she attracts A-list celebrities and athletes. A survivor of breast cancer, Crohn's disease, and mold toxicity, she routinely treats uh, patients who come to her for solutions to their medical mysteries that haven't been solved. Her YouTube channel and podcast features interviews with the healthcare world's most respected names in medicine, science, and functional medicine. And she co-authored the Personalized and Precision Integrative Cardiovascular Medicine Textbook and is set to release her prescriptive memoir through Forefront Publishing in 2023 called Unexpected. You can learn more about Dr. Jill and her work work at jillcarnahan.com. So Dr. Carnahan, thank you so much for joining the show. You're welcome. Glad to be here with you, Wendy. Yeah. So I absolutely love your work. And I interviewed you recently for the heavy docu-series. You're an expert on toxins and environmental toxins. And, and so a lot of your work reflects that a lot of the articles that you, you publish and you recently published a new book called unexpected. So can you tell us a, a little bit about your background and, and also why you wanted to write this book? Sure. And thanks for having me. So excited to be here and love your platform and your work as well. I love it. I love how we all collaborate and support one another. And so good. So important. I always learn. That's a great thing, right? On these things I learned from you and, and each, everybody out there. So um, I'm in Boulder, Colorado. I do functional medicine consulting. I'm a medical doctor and MD, but I really have a larger toolbox than just drugs and surgery, which we definitely need in the world of detox because drugs can be one of the toxins. <laughs> and again, there's a place for those. I still prescribe and do all of that, but I just have a much larger toolbox now to use for people who are sick with chronic illness. 
um, and the book. So interesting. This is a lot of my story. Um, 25 year old in medical school, uh, pursuing my dream of becoming a doctor when I was diagnosed with aggressive breast cancer. So all of a sudden I had to kind of face my own mortality and really, you know, where the rubber meets the road, even though I was in allopathic medical school training to become a, you know, classical physician, um, I still always had a holistic mindset. I grew up on a farm in central Illinois. My mother was a retired nurse. I was one of five children. That's why she retired <laughs> take care of the kids. And we had a garden of organic produce. And like, instead of running to the doctor for every little scratch and things she would often have you know teas or tinctures or herbal remedies or food or so i learned very early that there was other ways than just um just prescription medication and grew up that way with a mindset that the body has the potential to heal so i had a great foundation and it wasn't like we didn't go to the doctor. I mean, we had normal doctor pediatrician appointments, but it was just a mindset of what else could we do before we run to get an antibiotic. But even so, as a child, I was incredibly sick with allergies and infections. And probably by the time I was, you know, 10 years old, I had at least 10, 20 courses of antibiotics. So I was kind of a sick child. Of course, what do you do when you're 25? You're faced with this life-threatening illness. You believe in holistic medicine, but you're, you know, you have to decide. So I ended up choosing very aggressive three drug chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, like the whole works conventionally. And I remember this is the key for listeners. And I love to share this at that time. You don't know what the right choice is. And you think uh, medicine's black and white and it's not, it's full of gray. There's no absolutes in medicine, even in the best clinics or the best um, places. So I had to decide what I was going to do. And what I did was this very, very aggressive therapy. And at that moment with the information I had, I had to take that and make the best decision. And I've never looked back, even though the breast cancer was easy. I overcame that within nine months. I was considered in remission. It's never come back. And I'm over 20 years out. But what happened is the therapy that I chose um, caused immune deficiency and caused gut dysfunction. And six months after I finished my treatment for the breast cancer, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And it's absolutely connected because one of the drugs that I got for my chemotherapy creates a massive leaky gut or permeability. That's part of how it fights the cancer because that dumping into the immune system creates an immune reaction that fights the cancer. So all good. It saved my life. No regrets. But I literally understand now that, you know, you have to really think about this thing as a whole, because now I'm living 20 years out and still dealing with some of the effects from that choice um, back then, even though it saved my life. So you kind of find this best of both worlds. I did during that time, see a naturopath, prayer meditation. So I still did all the integrative therapies, but it's those things you, you know, later on, then you look at this and toxicity has been a huge theme as well. So we can dive into that, but all that to say, my book is my memoir, my story. And even though I was told, unless you're very, very famous, you can't write a memoir. I felt the connective tissue between us as humans is story. And so I felt very strongly that my story, it, it, it number one creates meaning and purpose for me when I share it and all the stuff I've been through, but even more so the patients, the, the people reading, the clinicians, whoever, all of us can relate to one another through story. So my hope is in the book, people see their own lives and their own journeys and are encouraged and inspired just because I can show them, well, at least for me, this is how I overcame some pretty awful things in my life. Yeah. And you talk a lot about detoxification and the importance of that. Can you talk about that, uh, the role of detoxification in, in your recovery and your health journey? Absolutely. This is like the core. And there's a chapter six called transforming toxicity. And it's a lot about my experience later on with mold related illness, but toxicity goes way deeper. And before we got on, we were talking you and I about how it's environmental toxicity. And when I first thought about the book idea years ago, I thought, oh, it's just going to be environmental toxicity. 
But then we go through relational toxicity and went through divorce and some very unhealthy relationships. And I realized, oh, there's relational toxicity. And if you're with the wrong person and you're not healthy and you're not engaging in a healthy way, that's toxic to our immune system and our bodies as well. And then emotional toxicity, we have these patterns of thinking and old programming from our childhood that we're still thinking and even childhood trauma. And whether that's trauma with a big T or little T, the stuff that we all have, it's all of this is environmental toxic load. And I really believe the thing that we're seeing that's creating so much illness and so much dysfunction among almost anyone with autoimmunity, cancer, neurodegenerative diseases, and any of these complex chronic things that we're seeing is related to the elephant in the room, which is our environmental toxic load that is exponentially increasing every year as we throw into untested chemicals in the environment and they act in synergistic ways that we don't even understand. And we're all literally drowning in this load of toxicity. And unless we're aware of it, you know, we used to be able to do a spa once a year, you know, 20 years ago, you know, for 21 days at the spa and do a detox where I would go to Switzerland and do a liver gallbladder refresh or retreat nowadays. And we'll talk about some of this. You must incorporate daily habits that are keeping you in the detox mode. And I know you're a fan of that too. We can talk about specifics, but I'm such a fan of not just doing this in January when we're feeling guilty, but like literally choosing every day, what am I doing to have breathe clean air, drink clean water, eat clean food and put inputs and then keep that bucket level of toxic water level down. I always use the analogy of a bucket level. We're all born with that bucket. And as the water level fills up over our lifetime and spills over the top, it presents with the things I mentioned, cancer, autoimmunity, neurodegeneration, and really all the complex chronicity in some ways related to our environmental toxic load. I mean, I just can't stress this enough. You know, everyone that comes on this podcast is talking about, uh, you know, how these toxins are, you know, affecting our metabolism, our gut and our immune system. And and you spoke on my heavy docu-series about how these environmental toxins are affecting us uh, with our weight, weight loss, resistance, diabetes, hormone issues. I mean, you name it. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it doesn't matter what the body system is, these toxins are affecting us in so many different ways. And so you also talk a lot about uh, mold toxicity. Can you talk a little about that and how uh, that is a problem for so many people? Yeah. So this is the thing that if you just ask, so I have lots of patients come into my office in person nowadays, you know, and they'll be like, uh, you know, I have this issue. I have new thyroiditis. I have new MS. I have new, whatever it is, or they maybe have cognitive issues where they're afraid they're, they're going to get Alzheimer's journey of memory, brain fog, or just fatigue and migraines, all of these things, super common. And mold can be at the root of so many of these complex chronic things because mold can hit any part of the system, it can be immunotoxic. So cause immune suppression and old uh, viruses or tick-borne infections or other things that were dormant start to activate because your immune system can't keep them in check. It can cause autoimmunity. It can cause, as you mentioned, weight gain, leptin resistance, diabetes, obesity, sleep issues, mood issues. I could go on and on and on. You name a system and I could tell you how mold affects it. So the patients are walking into the office saying, I have chronic migraines. I have chronic heartburn or histamine issues. I have mast cell activation syndrome. I have new onset thyroiditis, lupus, um, whatever it is. And so the, or even cancers or other kinds of very, very serious illnesses. 
And what they may not put together is that mold could be a root trigger to all of these things. And that's counterintuitive because in medical school, we were taught, oh, this one disease and one cause. And we weren't taught about the multifactorial issues in environment. And at the core, I explain it very simply. Almost everyone that I see has two things going on, toxic load and infectious burden. And it's where those two things interplay because as the toxicity increases and the water in your bucket level rises, when it spills over the tops, we have overcome our capacity. We're created as detox machines. So we have it in us to be able to dump the water out of the bucket and create margin, which gives us back space to do what we need to do and live healthy. But if we're not actively conscious about that, that water creeps up and pours over the top. And like I said, then we present with illness. So back to mold. Patients are walking in the office and saying brain fog, migraines, fibromyalgia, you name it. And they have no idea that at the root was mold as one or more of the triggers. So how do you know? So if I just say, do you have mold in your house? 99% of people are like, no, or, oh, I had an inspection and it was fine. Because people don't realize that that fridge leak that they took care of and maybe didn't dry out completely could cause, could harbor mold. That tiny little leak under their sink one day they went over for a weekend to the mountains. They came back. There was a little bit of flood under their sink. That water damage to porous materials is a breeding ground for mold. So it doesn't matter how small or your kids splashing in the bathtub and every single day night, they throw the water over the edge of the tub. Your tile doesn't seal well, or your grout is not waterproof, which many people don't know. Um, one little pearl here I'll throw in. Cause I mentioned the fridge. I will never, ever again, hook up my water line to my fridge to water. I just uncook it, cap it because I've seen so many people, including myself, my neighbor's condo water line flooded my place and ketomium and mold grew here. So there's simple things, not that you all have to forego the fridge line, but it's kind of not a big deal to me. I'd rather just make my own ice. <laughs> and it's so worth it to not have that risk of mold, washer, dryer, sinks. I mean, we have so many water sources and people are like, oh, well, I live in a brand new house or it's brand new construction. That is no guarantee. In fact, most of the people I find that have issues are in very, very nice, sometimes multi-million dollar homes, sometimes new builds. And it doesn't matter because construction nowadays is much more um, porous materials like particle board and drywall. And if they're in, we have construction right next door to my condo here and they're out in the snow and the rain and the sleet and they're not finished. So all of that wood is getting soaked. And if later on there's any sort of water source, it's a nidus for mold growth. So these kinds of questions, is there intrusion into your windows? Is there been any roof leaks? Has there been any issues with the attic space or the crawl spaces? Is there your sump pump ever flooded? And then when you start asking these questions, patients are like, oh yeah, I had my basement flooded and we dried it out with a fan. Well, that's not good enough because it's likely that mold is growing. And what we don't know about mold, or I'll tell you about it, right behind this wall, we could have a factory of mold. I, it's invisible. I don't see it. I maybe even feel okay initially. And that mold produces mycotoxins. Mycotoxins are the problem. These are 2.5 microns and smaller, which means they're as small as the COVID virus. So unless you have an air filter or something taking those very, very fine particulate, we call them VOCs, volatile organic compounds, out of your air, literally we breathe in, they go straight into the alveoli, do not pass go. They're so small, they can go right into the bloodstream. And within five seconds of breathing the smoke from the factory of mold in my wall, without me knowing it, I'm going to have brain fog symptoms and I don't know where it's from. So often I have to be the detective to help patients connect the dots from moving to a new home or from a flood or from water damage or from something to their current symptoms and say, do you think it maybe could be connected? And then we'll do the testing to find out. 
And one thing with mold that, you know, has always really kind of perplexed me is that, you know, everyone is exposed to mold. So, you know, I live here in Mexico and you just leave the house for a couple of days and the house reeks of mold. Mm -hmm. I'm surrounded by mold and most people are as well. So why are some people really affected by mold and others seem to not be bothered by it? Okay. Love this question. So there's a couple answers. Number one is there is an old connection to limbic system. So we talked just briefly about trauma and, um, and so there is a connection. First of all, we know, and I did the research to write about in my book that just like inhalation of a chemical can literally cause HPA axis triggering of the amygdala and the fight or flight response. So literally just a chemical, say you're going down an aisle of a chemical store in a farm, you know, farm implement store or something for chemicals or pesticides or whatever. Sometimes those kinds of chemicals can literally trigger the physiological trauma response and mold is no different. And this is why, even if you've done your emotional work, you've seen a therapist, you're really, really healthy. Mold can still be a very traumatic limbic trigger to the best of us, no matter who you are, what you do. And it's definitely worse if you've had undealt with trauma because your limbic system is already like ready for the next thing to be triggered. So there's a definite triggering. And I would say almost 100% of patients that get well from mold related illness um, and no longer have severe reactions like myself, we've done the work. So you have to do a limbic piece of it to really uncouple that fear response. And again, you can be like, oh, I'm fine. It's mold again. I know I'll be okay. But if you haven't dealt with that kind of hypothalamic um, automatic response, the limbic system is absolutely involved. So that's a piece of the puzzle. And then the genetics are the second part of the, the puzzle because about one in four patients has a difficulty with the innate immune system tagging these things as problems. So our body has to tag a bacteria, a virus, a mold toxin, and say, this is not supposed to be here and then escort it out through the detox pathways. But some people are unable to tag these mycotoxins. So they accumulate in the tissues and they start to create dysfunction on a cytokine level. So what happens is they poke the immune system, immune system when it's poked or there thinks there's a dangerous stranger, will start to produce IL-6, IL-2, all the cytokines we learned about during COVID. And those cytokines will cause damage to the body. So it's literally our own immune system is triggered by an invader that it can't get rid of and causing collateral damage. But it's not even always the mold. It's literally sometimes our own immune system. And in those patients that can't tag that and eliminate it, it's a vicious cycle internally of inflammation and uh, chronic uh, activation of the immune system. And this is what really causes some of the most long-term damage. And it seems like people that have like gut issues are also, they're going to have their immune system is going to be overloaded and it just can't take one more. Yep. Again, one more thing, all the stranger danger, all these toxins and, and, and then add the mold on top of that. It's just uh, people can't handle it. Yeah. And mold is a perfect storm with the gut because number one, it triggers more permeability. We know the data, it will often lower MSH melanocyte stimulating hormone. And in rat studies, lower MSH has been linked to number one, leaky gut for sure. Number two, even Crohn's and colitis. So this lower MSH decreases gut barrier integrity. You have just like Swiss cheese for gut. So all of a sudden, all the stuff you're eating, all the bacteria, all the coatings, all the stuff, even if it's like food leaks into the bloodstream and the body's like, what the heck is this doing? You know, this is corn piece that shouldn't be here, or this is an, a piece of bacteria, a coating called LPS, which is another trigger. And then all of a sudden that immune system and the body gets completely overloaded. So mold makes that permeability 
worse. It also activates histamine release and the gut is a huge place for histamine release. So this can cause more permeability, more symptoms, heartburn, diarrhea, uh, damage to the gut mucosa. And all of this is perpetuates that cycle and the gut is absolutely involved in mold. Yeah. And so let's also talk about emotional trauma because certainly with and any cancers, there's going to be an emotional trauma component. And and I believe most physical health issues have a, a, an emotional trauma component as well. So tell us about that uh, in, in your journey and, and how you talk about that in your book as well. So I talked a lot about this in the last chapter because it's like this tying everything together and realizing this may be the most important thing I talk about couple of things. Gabor Mate, one of my favorite authors, um, he has a new book out, um, Myth of Normal, a great, great resource. And it kind of puts a lot of his other work together, but he talks about breast cancer in particular being this, this is a disease of our, our nurturing organs. It's how we feed our babies and feed, you know, the next generation with nourishment. And the metaphor of breast cancer is a woman who is nourishing the world, pouring out, loving people, sacrificing herself, but not taking care of herself. And it's funny because I grew up in that kind of tradition of you sacrifice, you love, you serve. Um, But I didn't understand how to love myself. And then we go to autoimmune disease. And the metaphor there is it's, it's literally your own immune system attacking your own tissues. So thyroiditis, your body attacks the thyroid. MS, it attacks the neurons and neuromuscular junctions. Um, lupus, it might attack the skin or other organs. So there's all these, and you could name any autoimmune disease and same thing, it attacks some part of the body. So metaphorically, autoimmune disease is attack of self self-hatred, self-loathing, I'm not worthy, those messages. So this stuff is very relevant, not only to me, but other women, other men, people out there, I know we can relate. And for me, I really realized um, I uh, met my ex-husband at 19. I got married at 21, just starting medical school, three children, stepchildren. And so I was in three, I was in medical school with three stepchildren, totally taking care of all of them and my ex-husband. And like, it wasn't, it seemed normal for me, but I look back, I'm like, how did she do it? She totally sacri- like she put aside her needs and tried to, and nothing wrong with that, right? Like that's this loving, giving heart. We want to be self-sacrificial and loving, but if we do it at the expense of ourselves, my body was like raising its hand saying, um, excuse me, Jill, if you don't start taking care of us, we're going to get your attention and we're going to use autoimmunity. I had celiac, Crohn's, uh, thyroiditis and cancer to get your attention. And granted, there's physiological genetic reasons I got those diseases, but there is no doubt in my mind there's part of this of the self-denial, the self-hatred, the um, it's not even loving myself that was a piece of the puzzle of me getting ill. And one of the most profound healings that I realized was, number one, we need to love ourselves. And this is not wrong. And again, I grew up in a very conservative culture where you don't love yourself, you love others. But I realized that's not true. That's not right. But even more than that, you have to I lived up here in the analytical mind and I was that was reinforced in medical school. Like, don't trust your heart. Don't trust your intuition. It's all here. And after the age of 40, I started going back into my body, becoming embodied, less dissociated, and actually feeling and understanding truth from a heart level, not a mind level. So I had to relearn to get in touch with my body. And that was part of the healing. But in order to do that, you have to trust that the signals like, oh, I have a stomachache. Oh, am I upset with someone? Am I angry? Is it the food that I ate? It could be any one of those things. But you start to get in touch with the signals. Our body is designed to give us feedback and tell us what direction to go, what to eat, what to do, how to live. But we so often dissociate from the pain or the symptoms because we feel like, oh, we like in our society, pain is bad. Cover it up, right? 
But that's just a way of ignoring the body's signals to say, help me, please, please help me. I'm telling you what to do. So in order to love myself, I had to literally get back in touch with my body and say, what are you telling me? What do you need? And when I first started working with a therapist almost a decade ago, and she'd say, what do you need? I'd almost panic because I didn't know. I had no concept of having a need and asking for it to be met. And I literally had to start with, she'd say, you know, okay, what do you need? Okay. I need a drink of water. And I would just pick up the glass and take a sip of water, just reinforcing that as something as simple as I need a sip of water that I could provide for my own body. And that was part of the healing. And I think there's so many women and, and men to listen to this that can absolutely identify this. There's a lot of very smart people listening to this podcast. And I think a lot of us do go into that intellectualism and mm-hmm. as a kind of as a trauma response, that perfectionism yes. to not feel things, you know, and to, you know, repress things, forget about things, not, not wanting to feel things that are unpleasant and process them and without you know, realizing it all. And that uh, definitely translates into a lot of different health issues and lots of conventional medical research to, to show that connection as well between emotional trauma and physical health issues. Um, and so, uh, so let's talk about uh, more about your book. Like what, what are some of the other things that people, uh, will kind of learn in your book? Yeah. So it's a very unique book, um, because what I wanted to do is write a memoir and, and not because I want everybody to read my story. It's because my true desire is that as you, the reader would read, you would see your reflection and your story in mind, because we're all human. We all have common suffering and joys and strengths and weaknesses. And when we tell story, the reason for that is connection, because we can understand through story, we can relate. And so my goal in telling the story was that people would see their reflection. And then I talk literally about, you know, forgiveness or loving ourselves or these things. And I literally, in some of the chapters stop and say, is there anyone you need to forgive? Or are you loving yourself? Here's some tools. But then I also wanted like all my colleagues books out here, like the how-to guide, like 30 days to lose weight or how to fix autoimmune disease. So I struggled long and hard and really put a lot of effort into how to combine this in this like how-to manual, but actually a story. And I wanted people to be able to sit at night. You know, I have some of those books that I can flip through in an hour or so and get the main ideas by reading chapter headings and sidebars and things, but it's not really something I'd want to sit down with a comfortable blanket and a cup of hot chocolate and like, you know, nourishing. Um, And then there's the books that are like the novels or the little tidbit stories or like um, Anne Lamott or uh, any of these people that, you know, great authors. And I was like, I want that kind of book where people feel like they're having coffee with me or like sitting down and getting a glimpse into my life. So I did that. I had the memoir. But what we did is in the in the in each chapter, there's sidebars of how to know if you have mold in your home, what to do if you have mold, what kind of testing to do if you have mold, um, how to um, could be com- self-compassionate to yourself in this process. What are the benefits of raising your children without toxins and just on and on and on. So I feel like we've got both. And if you want to read the memoir, ignore the sidebars. You can get just the story. If you want to just flip through the sidebars and grab those tidbits. You got that, but it's all in one. And it starts with my journey growing up on the farm and realizing when I got breast cancer, that how toxic the, I had this idyllic life on the farm, right? Five children, mother and father who loved us and loved one another, very wholesome upbringing. But unbeknownst to me, that farm, the chemicals, the well water was killing me slowly. And so I had to really learn and understand. And I tell the story of that. And then the story of I had this wonderful family. There was no awful, you know, terrible abuse or anything, but 
I was this highly sensitive, delicate kind of uh, creative child in a family of stoic German Swiss, you know, hard, you know, pulled by the bootstraps, don't complain, don't, uh, don't uh, be afraid, all these things. And I learned to be put on this mask to show up and be strong like my brother's. But underneath was this little girl that was like really kind of scared sometimes and, and uh, also, you know, more, you know, sensitive. And as I reparented that little girl, I came alive and I healed so many things. And I think what you said earlier was so key. I realized in the telling that some of my relationship toxicity, the choice of the wrong men, wrong partners, even abusive partners was based out of a five or eight-year-old little girl that had wounds that were unhealed. And I talk through, so not only the mold-related illness, the biotoxin, detox, all that's in there, but I go way, way deeper and share like on a personal level, because like you said earlier, there are women and men, but many, many people out there that have successful businesses, they have it all together. They look on the outside, like they are the epitome of success. And yet they're still in a toxic relationship or a toxic marriage, or they don't know how to parent, or they don't know how to be with their, their parents or whatever relationships they're having. They're not healthy. And we don't talk about that because there's shame around. We think we have to have it all together. We think we have to present this thing to the world as I'm a mess and I'm okay. You know, hot mess <laughs> or not even one, not even a very hot one. Um, but all I to say, like, I try to really go to that level of being so vulnerable say, I'm here with you. We are all in this together. We just don't always talk about it. You may look at me. I have a practice, all these things I speak around the world, but I still have issues and I'm willing to share with those, share those with you because I bet you do too. And let's together try to work on this and show up the best that we can. And here's the things I've learned. Yeah. And I, I love that. It's so true that so, so many of us, you know, people listening to this show are, uh, intuitives, our, our empaths are, uh, very highly sensitive people. And we do tend to attract, you know, uh, less desirable partners, you know, narcissists or, uh, people we want to save, or, you know, just that was one of my favorite projects. So I'm going to help yeah. them with their trauma and, and save them and whatnot. And, and we, and it's incredibly draining and incredibly stressful and we get addicted to like these these stress chemicals and the high and then the you know this this cycle of um whatever kind of relationship that we get into but yeah it's 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 a huge contributing factor to people's stress levels and lack of recovery and and contributing to their physical health issues as well uh, so, so true. In fact, I'm more and more and more, I mean, I'm all about the functional medicine and the biochemistry, but more and more, I'm like, oh, the real healing is somatic behavioral therapy, getting embodied, like all the things we're talking about at this level, having healthy relationships. Those are actually more powerful healers than any of the supplements or the IVs or any of the other stuff. And it really does boil down to self-love is it when you, you don't love yourself or you self-abandon um, or you have you know, like these emotional traumas like fear of loneliness, survival fear, self-hatred, self-worth issues, you're you're going to attract someone that reflects that inner voice, you know, Absolutely. essentially. Um, yeah, well, Jill, thanks so much for coming on the show. And uh, do you so for you know, you're an expert in detoxification. Can you just, you know, I guess in parting, give us some of your favorite detox tips? You got it. So 
detox can happen through the skin, through the liver, through the kidneys, all of our body, all of our organs help. But the biggest part of this is probably our biotransformation in the liver gallbladder. So at the core, let's just take mold, for example, and this will work for many toxins, not just mold, but it's a great example because it's a common one. And it's probably one of the harder ones to detox. What you really want to do is do something to enhance glutathione production. Most people tolerate liposomal, oral, IV, intranasal, inhaled glutathione. You can do almost any form, um, getting in your body and your tissues. And liposomal tends to work well because it bypasses the gut and the breakdown in the gut. But any form of those will work. There are a small percentage of people that have very bad reactive oxygen in their body. They have oxidative stress. This could be determined by like high lipid peroxides in the urine. And if that's the case, some people will oxidize glutathione very quickly. They can't reduce it. And so they actually do worse in the beginning. So there is this, if you're like, oh, I should be taking glutathione, but I feel horrible when I take it. You might be one of those and you might need to wait until you're a little less toxic to take glutathione. So if you can't take glutathione, what can you do? You can do precursors like N-acetylcysteine, alpha lipoic acid, two rate limiting amino acids like glycine and glutamine. Selenium is a cofactor, vitamin C. And for my first part of mold-related illness, I did not, I couldn't take glutathione for about a year. I did all these other things. So that's glutathione production. Glutathione is the main driver of phase one, phase two in the liver. And that's where you take things from your tissues, like say these mycotoxins, fat-soluble, have accumulated in your body and your tissues. You need to mobilize them into the bloodstream and then have your liver and your kidneys uh, filter them. And then you need to excrete them through the bowels, through the sweat, through the urine or whatever. And so mobilization, glutathione. Second thing would be anything to support the liver itself. My favorite is milk thistle. Super simple. It grows wild out here as I'm walking along the streets. Milk thistle is huge, also called silymarin. But you could also there use NAC, ALA, any other liver support. Bitters or cholagogs are things that allow your body to secrete bile better. Bile is where this is stored after it's excreted from phase one, phase two into a water-soluble form into the bile. It's held in that gallbladder, which is a sac that holds the bile and then squirt it out into your gut. Our bodies are about 95% efficient in reabsorbing that bile. So if you don't intervene with a binder, you can just reabsorb the toxins. So the other, the last thing here is binders. I use clay, I use charcoal, I use glycomannan, chlorella, zeolite, and there's many, many more. And there is charts and places now where you can look up different types of toxins and the best binder. But I find because they're slightly different charged, it's best to just combine. In my history, plain old charcoal worked amazing for a lot of my toxicity. You can buy it over the counter almost everywhere. So you don't have to be expensive or complicated here. But I I do love some of the new products with lots of combinations. Zeolite, clay, charcoal are some of my favorites. And that is um, a core. But like I said, that's mobilizing, excreting. You want to make sure the bowels are moving. Keep like mag citrate or buffered vitamin C there to keep the bowels going. You want to make sure you're mobilizing from tissues. That would be like um, coffee enemas, uh, packs um, over your liver or um, infrared sauna is a huge piece of that as well. Yes, absolutely. So thank you so much for that, Dr. Carnahan. And again, thanks so much for coming on the Meyer Detox podcast and for being a speaker on the Heavy Docu-Series, which is coming out at the end of uh, 2023. I'm really excited for that. Um, so tell us where we can uh, learn more about your work and get your book, Unexpected. Thank you, Indy. And as always, thanks for having me. So you can find everything on my website, jillcarnahan.com, free blogs, podcasts. The book is there. Um, if you click there, you can get a signed copy of that. Um, also, I have a documentary coming out. So if you want to stay tuned, it's in film festivals, so it's not distributed yet. But if you want to see the trailer or just see what's coming out, it's just drpatientmovie.com. 
Yeah, fantastic. I can't wait for that because I know you're talking about toxins in, in that documentary as well. Uh, so everyone, thanks so much for joining again uh, for this hour of the Meyer She Talks podcast. I've been doing this podcast for almost 10 years and I have a lot more to talk about, a lot more years of doing this show. And I just really appreciate you tuning in every week and, and, and joining in. So talk to you guys next week. The Myers Detox Podcast is created and hosted by Wendy Myers. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Wendy Myers and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.